0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9 o'clock a.m. On the 9th of January 2020, this is episode 177 of Bitcoin, and let's see if I can do 45 minutes. Vital statistics brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. We've got a Bitcoin price of $7,940. We have a high coins bit at $8,053. It appears we're going to have a low Over at, oh, yeah, it's going to be P2P, B2B at 7,890. 325,000 blocks or transactions have been made over the last 24 hours with a transaction number per hour on average of 13,500 it looks like 1.2 million BTC have been sent in that last 24 hour period with an average being sent per hour of 53,506 with an average transaction value of four BTC and a median transaction value of 0.04 BTC. That's about 350 bucks US, which is a bit high. Block time is stable, nine minutes, 52 seconds. We are on. Oh, uh, we are on at block six hundred and twelve, six hundred twelve thousand and forty nine. We have point two BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and thirty one BTC being taken in fees overall in the last twenty four hours. We have a twelve percent drop in hash rate, but we are still at one hundred and one exahashes hashes per second, which pretty much smokes. The living daylights out of everybody else's blockchain on the planet. So let's see. Yesterday was the last time somebody committed anything to the Bitcoin Core GitHub repository. Ethereum is at 138. Now let's make it 139. Bcash is at, God, 235. Litecoin is at 45.5, BSV is at 116, Ethereum Classic is at 5, Dogecoin is a drop at 0.0025. With 32,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it has smoked Litecoin, which is the only one that Dogecoin is smoking. And it does so every time, which is just, I don't know, rather odd for me. Uh, okay, Uh, Mempool is four blocks deep. We have 5,745 unconfirmed transactions chilling out, waiting to be confirmed. All the blocks are over a megabyte, and with Lightning, we've got green across the board, man. We have passed 11,000 number or uh, node numbers. And again, those are the nodes that the network can actually see. There's a whole shit ton of these things that are operating in a hidden environment, so you can't see them. Estimates are 60,000 nodes, but how the hell do you estimate something you can't see? What we do know is that the nodes that we can see has surpassed 11,000. We are at 11,006 lightning nodes with uh, 35,500 channels and a network capacity of 863 BTC. Uh, Let's see. Number of new nodes that have come online in the last 24 hours is 12, representing a 200% increase in a 24-hour period. And the number of channels wearing diapers are 121, which represents a 30% increase in the last 24 hours. There's vitals. (laughs) Vitals. Okay, we're going to start with that which makes Twitter unfun. We got a text, or sorry, a TechCrunch article here written by Ingrid London and Sarah Perez. They wrote this uh, sometime in the middle of the day yesterday as of Central Standard Time. The headline is, Farewell, don't at me. Twitter will test a way to let you limit replies to your tweets. And just like that, Twitter becomes much more unfun. Let's get into what that actually means here. Twitter has been on a long-term mission to overhaul how people have conversations on its platform, both to make them easier to follow and more engaging without turning toxic. That strategy is taking another big step forward this year, starting in quarter one with a new way for people to control conversations by giving them four options to, quote, tailor their replies. Anyone can reply. Only those who a user follows can reply. Only those tagged in the tweet can reply. Or setting a tweet to get no replies at all. Parentheses. Goodbye. Needing to make space for don't at me. (laughs) which never works in the first freaking place. The plans were unveiled this mor- just this morning during CES in Las Vegas, where Twitter has been holding a, an event for media led by Kavon Bekpour, VP of product at the company. Quote, the primary motivation is control, he said today, we want to build on the theme of authors getting more control. And we've thought that there are many analogs to how people have communications in life. Of course, you are unable to silence people from replying to you in person, but that's another matter. The plans were laid out in more detail by Suzanne Z, head of conversations for the platform, who said the feature builds on something the company launched in 2019, where users can hide replies, which is horrible. I'm sorry. This is my opinion, but dude, I mean, just how everybody's complaining about everybody living in their bubble. How does this, how does this help? I don't think it does. Continuing. We thought that, well, if. What if we could actually put more control in the author's hands before the fact? Give them really a way to control the conversation space as they're actually composing a tweet. So there's a new project that we're working on, she said. The reason we're doing this is if we think about what conversation means on Twitter. What? God, that's a terrible sentence. Right now, public conversation on Twitter is you tweet something everyone in the world will see and everyone can reply, or you can have a very private conversation in a DM. So there's an entire spectrum of conversation that we don't see on Twitter yet. Other areas that Twitter discussed at the event included more focus on topics. Yeah, which is damn near a ghost town, which will be expanded and taken global. And with that, more work on how people can create and share lists. It's NBA ISO cam will be used again this year to let users vote on their favorite players. And a similar new version called the Stan cam will be created on the same principle for entertainment events on the marketing front. It will be building out more analytics and expending Twitter surveys globally, as well as building a new platform launch. That's the name of the platform for marketers to roll out new products and services for advertisers we will be talking with the company later this morning and we'll update this news as we hear more. There is no updates to this news, so just be aware. This is as, as I brought it down this morning. So apparently as of today, they still have no more information from Twitter. So, yeah, making Twitter, helping to make Twitter unfun. I mean, really. So guys, just buckle up. For, and here's here. Somebody replied when when I when I tweeted this uh, story out um, as I was putting the show together last night or last night and this morning. Somebody uh, replied to that tweet and essentially raised the alarm. And it's completely true that this is going to enable scammers uh, to really run rampant. So you figure start figuring out ways now to be able to call out scammers um, by, I don't know, screenshotting or something, but this is also going to, you know, we won't be able to, you know, if if we really won't be able to stamp anything like the, the whole uh, tweet stamp uh, bot, if you're using that uh, you, we might have to kiss that one goodbye for some of these things, but there's always the ability to uh screen cap something tweet it out yourself and then timestamp stamp that one if if you wanted to do so uh, in either event that has its own that has its own problematics because there are several ways that i can spoof somebody's tweet I, photoshop comes to mind because anybody can get a hold of the the font for uh twitter and make it look like it's a twitter thing it's it's in my opinion, this is not good. It's just not. So th- start thinking now before they release this shit, how you're going to call out uh, scammers in the crypto and Bitcoin space. So just be aware. Uh, Decrypt.co's Adriana Humcher is writing, what good is Bitcoin if the internet fails? Blockstream's Neil Woodfine lays out the solutions developers are working on to make Bitcoin impervious to interference. Uh, When was this written? Sometime yesterday. The internet isn't invincible. Governments the world over are restricting access to the World Wide Web. Russia is erecting a China-style firewall. Iran switched off the internet during recent protests, and India makes a habit of it. International shutdowns have more than doubled since twenty sixteen, according to Access Now, a nonprofit advocating for internet access. Then there are man-made disasters, missile strikes and neutral ones, natural ones like wildfires in California and Australia, and other scenarios that limit access to electricity, as well as the prohibitive cost of internet use in many parts of the world, lack of security, and of course, internet surveillance. <coughs> the internet's Vulnerability isn't great for advocates of cryptocurrency. A single day without access to the internet can cost crypto exchanges, miners, and traders millions. You can't buy, send, or steal Bitcoin if the internet is down. Or can you? Neil Woodfine, director of marketing at Bitcoin, development firm Blockstream, took to Twitter on Monday to deliver a blistering riposte to those who believe Bitcoin is reliant on the internet based on a presentation he delivered in Zurich, Switzerland, last October. And then they've got a link to... Uh, tweet storm that Neil Woodfine put out. The first tweet of said uh, tweet storm reads, what happens when the internet gets switched off? Despite the best hopes of many salty no-coiners, a surprising number of great engineers have been thinking about how to keep Bitcoin running in offline environments. Now, that's the end of that tweet, so we'll continue with the article. Woodfine admitted that delivering transaction data to miners requires an internet-connected device. Therefore, any offline solution is really only Internet minimized, but the scope is still huge. Quote, Bitcoin endures because the engineers that build it expect the unexpected. Money is a dangerous game and any weaknesses, no matter how small, will be exploited, he wrote. His first bit of advice is that people should get into the habit of going offline. And that means looking after their own private keys instead of entrusting them to an exchange or other custodian. But the first step is really using Bitcoin offline is to have your own full node. At first, it seems counterintuitive. Running a Bitcoin node requires serious bandwidth, which requires a connection to the internet, which is linked to an IP address, which in turn can be linked to a physical address. That's where Blockstream Satellite comes into play. The startup uses teleports around the world to beam Bitcoin blockchain data to four geostationary satellites around the earth. These satellites then broadcast the data to almost all populated regions of the world, said Woodfine. Currently, Blockstream satellites transmit only one way, for download only, so it's not possible to use the network to transmit transaction data. Yet. But it's free. There's no bandwidth limit. And to pick up the signal, you need less than 100 bucks of equipment, said Woodfine. That consists of a standard TV satellite dish, an SDR, which is software-defined radio, available for $24 on Amazon, and a basic computer such as a Raspberry Pi. This is where things get really interesting, because a single node connected to a satellite can provide Bitcoin blockchain data to a whole area via Wi-Fi rebroadcast using simple, low-cost equipment. I'm looking at you, Mesh Networks. For sharing transaction, mesh networks, a network of nodes that are not centrally owned or controlled connected directly to each other, are the best known option. They relay transaction data from and to other nodes in transmission range. Only one node needs to be connected to the internet in order to relay the data to the rest of the mesh. To hook up to a mesh network, a popular option is an inexpensive, low-powered messaging system called Gotenna. It has a range of approximately four miles, which can be extended via a relay method, but mesh networks are not infallible. The technology is still nascent, and it's impractical in confrontational situations, say, protesters. One option that's quickly catching on is the so-called low-range wide area network, or LORA-WAN, widely used for IoT applications, LoRaWAN chips work in extremely low power devices and offer a four mile range. However, bandwidth is tiny and transactions need to be broken up and sent slowly, said Woodfine. Another alternative is relaying transactions via mobile text messages to internet connected devices. Tools to enable this include Samurai Wallet's Pony Direct, TX Tenna, a collaboration between Gotenna and Samurai Wallet, and SMS Push TX. Using these various methods, one sat node and one internet-connected device can produce an entire network, said Woodfine. There are other methods for getting transaction data through, he said. Using amateur radio can transmit low-bandwidth transaction data around the world on very low power. Satellite phones such as Iridium Go allow users to send and receive low-bandwidth data anywhere in the world. And if all else fails, there's OpenDime, a small USB stick that allows you to physically spend Bitcoin just like a dollar bill and pass it along multiple times. But hang on a minute. Isn't that going back to where we all started? And that's the end of the Decrypt uh, article. This I like this article because it's nice and short and kind of gives you know a, a nice clearer overlay of how the sat satellite the block stream satellite kind of fits into this whole thing. Because, yes, as of right now, you cannot transmit to the satellite. That will change because clearly it's not impossible to transmit data to satellites as a technology. It's just how much is Blockstream going to spend to rent the receiver part instead of the just transmission part of the satellite? Cause these ain't their satellites guys. They're renting, they're renting portions of these four satellites. They don't own them. They didn't make them and they didn't fire them into space and find their orbit. Okay. So keep that, all that in mind, but Also, what what I like about this article is that it demonstrates the need for all of us to continuously and never stop thinking adversarially. What if should be the very first question in your mind as you wake up about anything, much less Bitcoin. But what if really needs to be in that bag of questions that you ask right after you wake up and drink water. Why do I say that? because you should drink water after you wake up. If you don't know that, then, and I'm guilty of it too. I don't drink water every time I wake up, although we all should. Now, moving on to a Coindesk article. This is Anya Bedakova writing for Coindesk uh, yesterday sometime. Oh, at 1715 UTC. It was also updated yesterday as well. A Russian nuclear plant is renting space to energy-hungry Bitcoin miners. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this headline, but let's go ahead and read the guts of the article. Udemyla, Russia. Udemyla? Udomila? Whatever. A state-owned nuclear power plant in Russia may soon fuel a Bitcoin mining hub. Last month... Rostatum State Atomic Energy Corporation opened a mining farm near the Kalinin nuclear plant in Udalama, 200 miles northwest of Moscow. The company spent more than $4.8 million building the 30 megawatt facility, according to Sergei Nemanenchov, the head of data centers and digital products at Rossergoetum, a Rostrum subsidiary. God, oh, this is, these are hard. <clears throat> Rostendrogratum, uh, isn't planning to mine itself, Nemenchev it said. Rather, it will capitalize on the opportunity to sell additional electricity to heavy users and rent space for their equipment, similar to a data center the firm built near the plant. Quote, both data centers and miners are large energy consumers with a stable demand. For us, it's a way to diversify. Rosatom is the first big government-related entity to embrace miners in Russia, the world's 11th largest economy, according to the IMF and the World Bank. And with plans to eventually open 240 megawatts or more of its power from several locations to the industry, the company could become a notable player in the global market. To put that number in perspective, Chinese mining giant Bitmain's facility under construction in Rockdale, Texas, is expected to start with a capacity of 25 to 50 megawatts and eventually expand to 300. Another facility being built in the same town would start at 300 megawatts and eventually go up to 1 gigawatt. Both are claiming the title of world's largest. The Kalinin plant, built in 1974 and named after a statesman who was the formal head of the Soviet state from 1919 until 1946, is another example of miners in Russia nesting close to old industrial sites like the abandoned factories in Siberia that are attracting miners from all over the world. In Udolama, a rectangular field of about 215,000 square feet is expected to fit up to 30 containers, each with room for almost 400 individual mining computers, they're talking about your regular shipping uh, shipping container that we all see, that standard size. Electricity for miners will cost four to five cents per kilowatt hour. Not the cheapest price you can find around the globe, as rates lower than four cents can be found in some regions of China and Kazakhstan. But Rasta wants to market the part the project, first of all, as a legitimate, reputable way to mine cryptocurrency right on the energy producer's property. It's totally white deal, Nemenschov said. I I guess white deal in Russia means not black market. I don't know. <clears throat> To find clients, Rosgratom partnered with Ecos M, a mining hotel firm that serves as an intermediary between the venue and miners. Founded in 2017 in Armenia, Ecos M started by building a mining venue near the country's Hrazden thermal power plant. So far, Ecos M has set up two containers in Hrazden, but hopes to expand significantly as the potential capacity of the site is up to 200 megawatts. Ecos M managing partner Ilya Goldberg said. But the partnership with Rosgradom, which is, sorry guys, which he says is very comfortable for Ecos M, is even more promising. If Ecos M manages to fill the field in Udalama fast, Rosgradom will open other venues for mining, said Nemenshkov. This is the company we're planning oh sorry, this is the company we're planning to go a long way with, he said. According to the memorandum of understanding signed by Ecos M and Rostrogradum in February, in addition to Udolama, four more Rostrum venues might be filled with miners in the coming years, two of them in Siberia, one in the northern region of Murmansk, and one in the Kalingrad Enclave in the West. One of these venues, located in the Siberian town of Seversk, is an especially ambitious project, Nemenshkov said, with a potential capacity of up to 200 megawatts. The site is expected to fit 84 containers for one megawatt each at the beginning after construction is finished tentatively scheduled for late 2021 some 130 more megawatts of available electricity are waiting for miners near the koloskia and baltic nuclear power plants of angrask electrolysis chemical plant, according to the MOU. For Rostogrotnum, building mining venues for rent is a byproduct of the company's ambition to become a large data center provider. The political situation is conducive to this business. In early December, Russia passed a law prohibiting storage of Russian citizens' personal data abroad. This means any company dealing with Russian's personal data will have to store it on servers inside Russia or pay up to $290,000 in fines and get blocked in the country. Another law, passed in 2016, requires all telecom companies to store their clients' communications data for up to three years, further stimulating demand for storage. The data center in Udalama has a backup diesel generator, which uh, ensured uninterrupted service for clients during a brief outage at the Kalinan uh, power station last year caused by a short circuit in a transformer former outside the plant, Nimenchkov said. While the mining field doesn't have such generators, an outage there in extreme conditions would only last one or two minutes, he said seems serious about working with miners. According to Dmenchkov, there will be an option to hire the nuclear giant's personnel to take care of mining containers and leverage its engineering and industrial safety expertise. It might also provide the metal containers in the future, Dmenchkov said. However, the infrastructure the company is building can serve various use cases. Dmenchkov said... Oh, sorry, Nimenchkov said, if one day Russia bans crypto or mining in particular, the venue can be upgraded and turned into a normal data center. For the time being, we can host miners. If the mining story is over, we can host something else, Nimenchkov said. So again, even these guys are asking the question, what if? I mean, they're going headstrong into mining and even right now before the project is even half complete. They're asking themselves the question, what if? We should always be asking ourselves the question, what if? Is this good for Bitcoin? A freaking course is good for Bitcoin. Also, what's nice about or what's uh, interesting about this particular story is that I was unaware that Russia passed a law that demands that all Russian citizens' uh, data be kept inside the borders of the country. I like, you know, okay, I'm not a fan of laws per se. I don't like being told what to do. But I also, it it is kind of nice that at least somebody somewhere gives enough of a shit about their citizenry to say, no, that's our data and we're not giving it to you or allowing you to do a damn thing with it. Uh, The only other other problem in, in that same paragraph was the statement that they're keeping all their telecom uh, logs for three years. That scares the piss out of me. But what are you going to do? It's the world we live in. This one is out of decrypt.co. This is Robert Stevens writing sometime yesterday. New York's lawmakers are pushing for its own cryptocurrency. Oh, good God. New York coin. It's coming. Lawmakers in the city of New York are proposing a new form of hyper-localized di- digital cash that would run on a peer-to-peer payments platform called an inclusive value ledger or the IVL. Mm-hmm. The proposition comes from New York State Assembly member Ron Kim, <coughs> Senator Julie Sal- Julia Salazar and Cornell law professor Robert Hockett, who in true crypto form published a white paper to elaborate on the idea in November of 2019. The white paper comes with crypto's common claims of cutting out the middlemen and crypto's vague gestures as to whom these middlemen might be. Surely not the state itself, but this isn't a truly decentralized cryptocurrency as we know it. Of course, they never are. When are you, you going to get this shit into your head? If Texas decides to re- make Texacoin, I've, my first reaction is not decentralized, not a blockchain, complete bullshit. And I'm a Texan that loves the state of Texas. And even if Texas did that, I would be the first one to say, you're full of it. Continuing, yes, the payments are peer-to-peer and fee-less, no less. But instead of a truly distributed ledger, the ledger would be maintained by a, quote, New York master account administrator and a master account, which can take the form of either the public fisc of the governmental unit in question or of a legal trust settled and administered by that unit. FISC, F-I-S-C, means treasury. Just I had to look it up, so don't worry about it. Even I didn't get that one at first. <clears throat> the paper's authors call it a public Venmo. A way for the citizens of the state to get on to the digital economy of the Internet. But unlike Venmo, it wouldn't charge fees for instant bank transfers or credit card systems. Quote, I believe that our proposal, the inclusive value ledger, has the potential to be truly revolutionary and taxed. Sorry," said Kim in a public statement published in October. "Quote the creation of a free public savings and payment platform that all New Yorkers can use not only pay for uh, not only to pay for goods and services, but also to transfer money directly to each other through." could fundamentally shape New York into a fairer, healthier, wealthier, and more inclusive place for all. Lawmakers also said that the $55.7 billion the state gives out in tax, remittance credits, and other government benefits would be distributed using the digital debit credit ledger system. Quote, we need to address the inequities that are built into our current economy and transition to an inclusive system that empower all people to participate, said Salazar. Hawke added, quote, all valuable work and all valuable products and services, including presently unpaid care work and environmental cleanup, will be instantly compensable, and all that is earned will be instantly savable and spendable. They didn't include taxable. The bill couldn't come at a more opportuni- opportunistic time. While the idea of building state-run digital currencies has been scorned in the West, particularly in the U.S., things are starting to shift. In October, President Xi Jinping spoke about the promise of blockchain technology just days after Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg defended the upcoming Libra cryptocurrency. <clears throat> told Congress the U.S. needed to innovate to keep its monetary dominance in the world. China is also about to launch its own digital yuan, while several other private companies have recently launched cryptocurrencies in Asia. As a result, the Central uh, European Central Bank and countries in the West, including Sweden, Wales, Estonia, and France, have started looking into creating their own digital currencies. While the U.S. has proved very resistant to the idea, global pressure might just make it change its mind. And if it does, this bill will be ready and waiting. And that's the end of that decrypt article, and oh my god, just, I, I would say just use Bitcoin, but they all need something that they can control, and this is just, you know, I used to talk about corporate, you know, the corporate blockchain shit. You know, we had we had Bitcoin, and then the ICO or altcoins came in, and then ICOs came in because Vitalik created an enterprise scam level. Uh, monster in Ethereum that being able to scam just about anybody for anything at any time anywhere on the planet. But uh then we started seeing corporations start talking about their own money. And I I I said it back then that it's only a matter of time before nation state level digital currencies start making uh making the news, well, you know, hand over fist. And that's what's going on here. Hand over fist Governments, large and small, are starting to get into this particular game because they know the writing is on the wall. I wouldn't believe any of these nation states, whether the size of New York City, New York State, the United States, or any other freaking country in the world, as far as I could throw them, I don't trust any of them anymore, even though I'm a United States resident Even if Texas decided to actually secede from the nation, I wouldn't trust Texas. I would, I don't trust my own city or the larger cities, you know, next to me, they all screw shit up. They screw shit up all the time. Why is this going to be any different? It's not, it's not going to be any different. So there you go. Okay. Virgil Griffiths is back in the uh, news. Coin Telegraph's Adrian Smunsky is reporting: A U.S. grand jury indicts Ethereum researcher Virgil Griffith over North Korea trip. This was written sometime this morning. The United States District Court of the Southern District of New York has filed an indictment against Ethereum Foundation researcher Virgil Griffith on January the 7th. According to the court filing, a federal grand jury charged Griffith with conspiracy to violate the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. Holy shit. The act was introduced in 1977 and is a U.S. federal law authorizing the president to regulate international commerce in case of a national emergency coming from outside the country. Griffith is accused of knowingly and willfully having conspired to violate the measures taken against the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or the DPRK. Griffith was arrested in late November 2019 for allegedly delivering a presentation on how to use cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology to circumvent sanctions. He is believed to have done so with other people of which at least one, the court claims, is expected to be brought to and arrested in the Southern District of New York. The document reads, quote, It was part of an object of the conspiracy that Virgil Griffith, the defendant, and others known and unknown would and did provide and cause others to provide services to the DPRK without first obtaining the required approval, end quote. The court is further seeking to... Yeah, Sorry. The court is further seeking the forfeiture of any property that Griffith bought or earned as a result of his alleged activities in the DPRK. The charges carry a maximum of 20 years in prison. In December, Ethereum founder Vitalik Buterin said that by going to deliver speeches to North Korea, Griffith showed the virtue of geopolitical open mindedness open mindedness, stating, quote, I don't think what Virgil did gave DPRK any kind of real help in doing anything bad. He delivered a presentation based on publicly available info about open source software. There was no weird hackery, advanced tutoring. <laughs> Virgil made no personal gain from the trip. I hope United States of America focuses on genuine and harmful corruption that it and all countries struggle with rather than going after programmers delivering speeches. Cryptocurrency journalist Laura Shin, on the other hand, explained in a Twitter thread that North Korean citizens are not allowed to talk to foreigners and that Griffith must have interacted with the regime, not local people. Quote, I see people saying a talk in North Korea could help the people against the government. But an approved public talk means you are interacting with the dictatorship, giving them knowledge that helps them. And what do they do? They oppress 25 million people. And they've done so for decades. If you want to help everyday North Koreans, it has to be in secret, end quote. Shin also noted that the local population has no access to the Internet and no clear idea of what the Internet is, alluding to the fact that the DPRK citizenry would have no way to access a public blockchain and the knowledge would not prove useful to them, quote. Let's say Virgil could have educated everyday North Koreans on cryptocurrency. He would likely have to start such a presentation by explaining what the Internet is. Owning the kind of device you would need to access it is prohibited and likely something that could get you sent to a very scary place, end quote. Some claim that the borderless nature of cryptocurrencies make them particularly suitable tools for evading sanctions and moving funds without the approval of financial regulators, as Cointelegraph Telegraph reported in September of last year, North Korea is repeatedly reportedly in the early stages. Yes, of building its own cryptocurrency in what appears to be an effort to evade u s imposed sanctions in December of twenty nineteen iran's president proposed to create a Muslim cryptocurrency as one of a number of means to confront the economic dominance of the United States. Venezuela is also attempting to circumvent sanctions using their own crypto asset, having launched the Petro, a stable coin purported tied to Venezuelan. Crude oil supplies in February of 2018. That's the end of the article. And oh my God, again, yeah. Nation state level shit coinery. Hand over fist, bros. Hand over fist. Now, most of you that listen to this, probably not going to like what I have to say. But Virgil's getting hosed by the United States government. Do I like Ethereum? No. Do I think it's a scam? Yes. Yes. I'm not sure if it was actually meant to be a scam, but it at this point, it's just a scam machine. That's all I see it as as a scam machine. And but even through all of that, uh, you know, I think I do think Virgil's kind of getting hosed. Um, but he's, I mean, he's hosed, dude. They sent, oh God, they sent Ross Ulbricht away for uh, two. What was it? Lifetimes two plus 40 with no possibility of parole for operating a website. <clears throat> I'm not sure Virgil's going to fare very well here. I mean, even if they give him half of what they gave Ross Ulbricht, I don't think he's gonna see the light of day. We'll have to see as to what whatever the Southern District of New York decides to do on that one. But Laurition also does have a point. And this point was being made at the time of the the news breaking of Griffith's ar- uh, arrest in November. The joke was, they don't even have internet. What the hell are they going to do with this? So you got to weigh both sides on this thing because uh, she's not wrong. Uh, there's no access to the internet for citizenry of North Korea. That doesn't happen. There There's no such thing as an internet cafe where you can go play play. I don't know, it's like legacy or something like that, and email and grab a coffee. That's not in North Korea. The only people with access in North Korea to the internet are people in the Politburo, or whatever you want to freaking call it, the government. And even then, that's going to be pretty tightly freaking controlled. So, again, you got to weigh both sides of this issue. Personally, I do think he's getting hosed, uh I don't think it's cool to for the you know for a country to arrest somebody because they give a public talk, but again, for the final time, Laura Shin is not incorrect. There's no way that he could have given that talk without actually doing it with the permission of the North Korean government so i i I think at the end of this, Griffith is just gonna get hosed for life ten million bitcoins. Hasn't moved in more than a year. That's the highest since 2017, says a January 8th article by, uh, sorry, Umkar Godbole. For he's writing for CoinDesk. Hodling has returned to a major milestone. The number, total number of bitcoins that haven't changed hands in more than a year, has crossed the 10 million mark. Uh, about 10.7 million bitcoins has not moved in more than 12 months, according to digital assets data of fintech company building crypto data feeds. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Considering the total number of bitcoins in circulation, uh, it, it's good, sorry. Considering the total number of bitcoins in circulation is 18.14 million, this also means nearly 60 percent of the coins remain dormant, and only 40 percent participated in the price action seen in 2019. The percentage of Bitcoins lying dormant for over a year is at the highest level since early of 2017. The sheer size of unmoved coin or Bitcoin is definitely a sign of the developing community of HODLers, Caden Stadelman, chief technology officer at Komodo Platform, told Coindesk the top cryptocurrency witnessed substantial swings last year, rising from 3,693 to 13,879 in the first six months, only to fall back to 7,179 by mid December. Thus, Bitcoin just about doubled last year despite the brutal sell off in the second half. Even so, a large number of Bitcoins remained inactive, possibly because investors are expecting a significant price rise following the mining reward halving due in May. The process, repeated every four years, reduces block rewards by half in order to keep inflation under check. That's not exactly right, people. That's We're not keeping inflation under check. We have a known inflation schedule. It, the, all this does is follow the programmed inflation schedule; it does not keep inflation under check. That is not right, CoinDesk. That is completely and one hundred percent totally incorrect. Sorry, just I—you gotta correct it. Sorry, you just have to. However, if the market doesn't live up to lofty expectations, some selling could be seen, Stadelman said. In that case, the sum of bitcoins lying dormant would drop. Another strong reason for the growing number of Bitcoins lying dormant could be that a sizable portion of the hodlers are doing so at a loss and are hodling on to their investments. Quote, many in- investors are potentially still underwater with Bitcoin that was purchased at higher prices in 2017 and 2018, said Kevin uh of Digital Assets Data. Sorry, Kevin, I don't mean to butcher your last name. It's just part of the show, dude. Prices higher than the 2019 high of 13879 were observed during the December 2017-February 2018 rally, and many investors have acqu- had acquired coins during that bull market frenzy, frenzy. However, the fact these investors have not sold indicate they are likely betting on long-term growth pro- prospects. So there you go. Hodlers being hodlers, doing what we always do. We just hodl this shit until it makes sense for us to actually sell or we have no freaking choice but to sell because we're going to end up living under a bridge and eating cat food. Nobody wants to do that. So if that's impending and you you feel bad about selling your Bitcoin and don't want to be shamed, fuck them. I know you should hodl. I get it. But dude, nobody should be eating cat food under a bridge. All right. Because that leads to bad shit. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. The Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by none other than Trayvon James or at Bitcoin Tray. That's Bitcoin T-R-E, all one word, no underscores, no nothing. For people that do not know who Trayvon James is little background. Trayvon James was one of a handful of the very highest echelon of influencers in the BitConnect scam. He was openly shilling to hundreds of thousands of people a scam. Now he is shilling Richard Hartwin's Hex scam, and it is a scam. It is the Hexit scam. Yesterday, I talked about the emptying out of the Hex wallet that was supposed to be inaccessible, even though it's been accessed a total of 37 times. And Trayvon James is right there, right there, right there, shilling yet another scam again. How he's not in jail, I don't know. Now, an aside, there's lots of newbies coming into the space, We want to take care of them all. We really do. But honestly, for both, you know, any old timers as well as newbies, stop and think to yourself, how much time will it take somebody, not how much time, how much energy will it take you asking an old timer to rehash to you what that old timer has been rehashing since whenever they entered the market Whenever they discovered Bitcoin, we've been talking, I've been talking about scams for at least two years because it took me at least a year and a half to figure out that most of this stuff is a scam. Please, it's not, please stop asking us to prove it to you. It's at least do some of the initial footwork yourself. Google Trayvon James and BitConnect and read. Google Richard Hart Wynn and Spam King, Panama, and read. Read well, read for a while, go to different links. Don't just come up to like, you know, some like, I don't know, like Jameson Lopp or one of the other way old school people in the space and tell them to get onto YouTube with you so that they can prove to you why XYZ is a scam. They ain't got the time. And it's not even the time. It's the energy. Shit, we've done this for years. I mean, I get that you need the information, but you have access, okay? You do. You really have access. If you're a newbie listening this first time and you're wondering why I think Hex is a scam, it's because of Richard Hart Wynn and the person he is and the shit he's done. We know BitConnect is a scam because it was proven to be a scam. But before that shit fell apart, we knew it was a scam because of the people behind it. People like Trayvon James, who says, and this is The train wrecked, Writing at 7.15 a.m. on the 4th of December 2018, Bitcoin Trey says, If Bitcoin isn't $10 by January 1st, 2020, I will eat my dog's poop live on YouTube. How's that working out there for you, Trayvon James? Because even though we've seen quite a bit of a drop, shit, it's even we've we've seen even a drop since I started recording. We are now at seven thousand eight hundred and forty. It's a fair sight more than ten dollars, Trayvon. Guys, this is why you don't listen to shithead, you know, meatheads like uh, Trayvon James and the rest of his his BitConnect crew they don't really know what they're talking about. And they don't need to, to scam you out of your money if you're not being careful. 99.99% of this space is pure scam. It's sad, but that's the way it is. But think of it this way. When the gold rush was happening, you know how many scammers were part of that? There were more scammers making more money than gold miners panning for gold in California for probably the entirety Of the period of time that we called the gold rush in the 1800s. In the land rush, even before that, I guarantee you there were, there were false land offices that were allowing people to make claims on, on land. And by the time they went back to that land, it was, well, I think that the rule was you had to build a fence around whatever land you were going to claim in the great American land rush. And then you got a surveyor or you surveyed it yourself. People knew how to do shit like that back then. And then you would take that data to a land office and you would register that land and you got the land. I guarantee you that there were fake land offices all around the country that basically stole those people's lands. It doesn't matter what's new. It matters how much research you do into what's new. Don't get scammed, people. Don't don't listen to trade Good heavens to I'm getting interrupted like all over the place today. Just had some uh, appraisers come out to look at the house, and so I got interrupted on that one. All right, Terrible Joke Corner. This time is not brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. It's actually brought to you by Indecisive Jones. That's at Indecisive Jones on Twitter. Alice, I'm late. White Rabbit, that's my line, Alice. White Rabbit, Alice stares, White Rabbit, oh shit. Now, on the surface, especially for anybody who's, I don't know, younger than 30, maybe, uh, probably doesn't get that reference. And even me, oh my God, it took me a full freaking minute to get that. Very esoteric, historically esoteric. Why is this funny as shit to me? Because back in the day, when a woman was late on her period and there was no such thing as pee strips for pregnancy tests, when you got a pregnancy test, you went to the hospital and the term was the rabbit died. Now, I won't get into the particulars of what the test is, but essentially the way that the pregnancy test worked was that a sample of the mother, and I can't remember if it's the blood or I can't remember what it was, what it is, but something from a potential mother who may or may not be pregnant is introduced into the bloodstream of white rabbit or a rabbit. If said rabbit dies, then it was uh, basically an anaphylactic shock or some kind of like massive cascade failure caused by uh, the an immune response in the rabbit as a response to something that could only indicate that the human woman was indeed pregnant. So when so like back in the day, like in the forties and fifties, a woman would come home and look at her husband and the joke was the rabbit died. That's why this shit is funny because the the white rabbits like, Oh God, she's late. If she's pregnant, I'm dead. Just a little history, humor kind of thing going on. I figured I'd I'd kind of, uh, you know, kind of change things up just a little bit. So what did we learn today? Trayvon James is still a scammer. <laughs> That's what. And nation state cryptocurrencies, which are not cryptocurrencies at all, are going to be all the rage for probably the next, I don't know. I'm going to say one year. And I'm going to be wrong. But I would hope that the lunacy will die down uh, of the nation state shit coinery inside of a year. We've also learned that you really do need to do your own research. It is incumbent upon everybody, including old timers who to do research, to stay current, to stay ahead of the curve. But it's also incumbent on newbies to stop asking old timers to do all their fucking research for them. Now, I like you newbies. I really do but you got to get it if you're going to get in the game you got to get in the game that means research that means looking at these people who are trying to sell you their crap it means trying to understand the technology that is behind this stuff it's it's understanding <clears throat> why you know it, it this kind of research is how i've come to the point where i can look at something and say that's not even a blockchain that's distributed ledger technology and you don't need it to track bananas and you don't need a blockchain to track bananas I just know intrinsically why this is true. When you're asking me to explain it to you because you hold a bag of banana coin, I am uninterested at all in helping you when you've demonstrated no potential to help yourself. And that's a problem because once you hold a bag, you're not all that interested in finding out whether or not that bag holds water. You know, it holds your coin but you don't know if it holds water. You're uninterested in finding out. This is also, and I was talking about this yesterday with this guy from, you know, that keeps wanting people to talk to him on YouTube to convince him why hex is a scam. It's not worth our time. You're never going to be convinced hex is a scam. If you bought hex, I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, to be very fair, There's a very real, you know, uh, backlash to experience for me in the fact that I own Bitcoin. Is it a scam? I don't know, man. I've done a lot of research. I can't find it. I cannot find the scam. But I also have to admit to myself, maybe something subconsciously because I got a bag is forcing me not to look in the particular places that would prove to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that Bitcoin is a scam. I don't think it is. I'm going to continue going on my own way. But I have to question what if, which is the last thing we learned today. You've got to question what if. You have to. What if the internet goes down? How will I do a transaction? You know, it. We and again, put on your research hat research partially signed bitcoin transactions out of a cold card research open dime research sending uh, uh, pbsts or the partially or psbts partially signed bitcoin transactions over radio how ham shortwave how well, the the blockstream satellite what is it how do they how do they do it did they launch it no they didn't launch it i'm, I'm just saying go do the research there's a whole world of stuff to learn about this which is it should be exciting. It shouldn't be a, oh God, one more thing that I've got to learn. Well, then get out. Get out, man. You might, In fact, get out of life. You might as well go ahead and, and nail yourself into a pine box and throw yourself into a six-foot hole and cover your ass up with dirt because you're done. If you are uninterested in learning something new every single minute of every single day, you're kind of done.